You're listening to Garbage Into Gold, a Sixers podcast hosted by Brandon Apter and Jesse Larch, part of Philadelphia Sports Nation. Visit online at phlsportsnation.com. Garbage into gold. Welcome back to another episode of Garbage Into Gold. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm one of your hosts, Brandon Apter, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jesse Larch. Jesse, welcome into episode two. Excited to be here. Got some good feedback on episode one, so uh, let's keep our fans happy with another good one here. Yeah, Definitely, definitely. And uh, like we will always do before each of our episodes, before we dive into the uh, content of the episodes, just want to give a shout out to Philadelphia Sports Nation. We're very happy to be a part of their podcast team. So make sure that you are following them on Twitter at PHL Sports Nation and the Sixers side of that uh, at PHL Sixers Nation. Uh, in this episode, we're going to cover Brett Brown's media lunch in. So we hope you enjoy what we talk about. And um, if you want to see more of a written version of it, uh, one of the writers at Philly Sports Nation, Philadelphia Sports Nation, actually talked a little bit about some of what Brett Brown said as well. So you can head over to phlsportsnation.com to check that out after you listen to us. So uh, just to lead, of all, lead things off, Brett Brown did his annual media luncheon with uh, a, a group of uh, beat reporters on, on Wednesday and uh, talked about a, new, a number of things. Uh, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, the, the new roster, the wing battles on the bench, you know, really, really covered everything uh, with regard to the Sixers. So we're, we're just going to start off with, with one of the most important people on the team, if not the most important person on the team, Mr. Joel Embiid leading into training camp, which starts on October 2nd. Uh, all we really know about Joel Embiid is that he's lost 25 pounds and he seems to be taking his weight seriously. And, and one of the first things that Brett Brown uh, said I believe he was asked a question with regard as to, well, you don't really have a whole lot of shooters to get the ball to in the last uh, you know, few seconds, so who's it going to be? Who's going to be the guy? And Brett said, it has been, it is now, and I suspect it will be. Joel Embiid is our crown jewel. You know, We've heard this for a while now, but health aside, Joel Embiid is the future of this team, Jesse. It's not, Je- it's not Ben Simmons. It's not Josh Richardson. It's not Tobias Harris. It is Joel Embiid. As he should be. I mean, he's certifiably a top five player in the NBA right now. Um, I don't think there's another big man that I'd really pick over him and that's including Anthony Davis. I think Embiid just, just, he proves every time he plays against any of those other blockbuster names that he's the dominant player. Anthony Davis has had probably some of the worst games of his career against Joel. Um, Nikola Jokic, same thing. I mean, aside from the crafty veterans of like Al Horford and Marcus Gasol, no one's really figured out Embiid. And that's him being in his early 20s, being less than 10 years into playing basketball. So he has a skill set that's still developing, and we see it year in and year out. And really the weight, you could almost consider that like another extension of his development, right? Where we've seen him develop the jumper. He's gotten more developed as a defender, as a rebounder. 
I thought last year really we saw him grow leaps and bounds as a rebounder. Yeah. And and then, you know, now the big criticism was can he stay healthy? Can he take care of himself? Is he too big? And really I didn't even think he was necessarily overweight last no, year. No, I, I think it was his, like TMZ uh, TMZ caught him eating Shake Shack or something while he was hurt. Uh, and then you had Landry Shamit after he was traded say that, uh, you know, he'd get the team Chick-fil-A and Joel would end up getting like five or six sandwiches with which JJ Redick further clarified in one of his podcasts after the season that Joe didn't eat all of those uh, sandwiches or milkshakes, whatever it was. Well, first, I just want to put it on the record that Chick-fil-A has the best milkshakes in the They're world. They're great. Um, second, I mean, this guy's seven foot two pushing 300 pounds when he's in his best physical condition. So really like he, he does have to eat more. You can't expect him to live off of a salad. I'm not saying go out there and be a glutton, which I don't think he is, but like just looking at the man physically, he never looked fat or anything like that, or really even slow. I'd say the biggest obstacle for him was just getting used to playing that many games in that many minutes, which he's never done. Yeah, I think it was I mean, early in the season. In college, wasn't it early in the season when uh, he he led the NBA in minutes through a couple of months? I think so. And I mean, if you look at his career to now, the college minutes that he played, he never. I mean, he didn't play a full year at Kansas, so right there, he didn't get endurance there. Missed his first two years in the NBA. Only played thirty games his first real year, and then what was it, fifty or sixty his second year? So to be off the minutes restriction to play essentially a whole season and then go deep into the playoffs. I mean, that was definitely taxing for him. And I think that that was more what slowed him down right. than his actual physical, actually how in shape he was. Um, I'm, I mean, I doubt it because again, 25 pounds in relation to a frame that's seven foot two isn't as much as it might sound as if he was say TJ McConnell dropping 25 pounds. <laughs> yeah. You know, really it's probably minimal weight. He probably just got a little bit leaner. Um, I personally just want to see him use his strength a little bit more because I think he hasn't learned how to do that yet. Yeah, I think you saw and him play I, a little bit of bully ball, but you know, give, find, finding that happy medium between playing bully ball in the post and and not turning the ball over is what we need to see from him uh, this upcoming season. I think absolutely the turnovers. I mean, I'd say he's the worst perpetrator of that on the team, and especially in the big moments, it seems like it gets worse for him. Um, but Going back to like his size, I think of especially where the league's at now, there's really not any big, big men, right? Yeah, so you look back to um, the Lakers in the early 2000s, late 90s with Shaquille O'Neal when there was big, big men and Shaq was still just head and shoulders more dominant than anybody else. Embiid mm-hmm. has the ability to do that with the current landscape of big men because it's a guard driven league, aside from the likes of a Jokic or a Davis, there's really not too many guys that can even put a claim to his skill level. Right, yeah. So then, and I don't think either of them can match his athleticism. So if he learns how to use that, which for him, I mean, I just haven't seen it yet, but if he can start doing that, use his strength and his size, and just be a bully when he needs to be, I think that's the next step for him to unlock what he can become. Yeah, and I think it'll further cement him as a as a good three free throw shooter as well because the more you play bully ball, the more you find out how you do different moves other than that kind of swim move that he does to, to get guys to foul you, the more you go to the line and the more times you get easy points from the charity stripe, really. 
Um, you mentioned Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, w- one of the comments that Brett Brown said uh, while he was talking about Embiid is that Joel Embiid is like Shaquille O'Neal, except with soccer feet, which I feel like I've heard him say before, but he's not wrong. He has that same build as Shaq, you know, maybe a little bit more muscular and, and a little bit more healthy. Um, but he definitely is more, uh, you know, flat footed or not flat footed, but whatever that word is, he, he, he's better with it, with his feet and, and a quicker overall person. But, um, you know, Brett Brown had, had a ton to say about Joel. And, and one of, one of the things that I, that creeped into the back of my mind was, I wonder what Ben Simmons thinks when he, when he hears that Joel Embiid is the crown jewel, like there has been a lot of, uh, you know, media, national media, local media talking about can Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid uh, coexist? You know, they're going to have to coexist because they're both under contract for quite some time. But a lot of people think Ben Simmons is going to be one of those guys that wants to uh, be the face of a team and Joel Embiid is going to be that. And especially after Brett Brown then went on to say that Joel's legacy is something that he desperately wants to do his best to help him leave behind. You know, he wants to get Joel championships. He wants to get him more all-stars and maybe even a most valuable player. So how do you think a guy like Ben Simmons thinks when he hears this stuff? He knows he has a role. He's a 23-year-old all-star, you know, obviously the starting point guard for the Sixers. But when you hear all of this stuff and and you have such a long career ahead of you, is it tough, do you think, to kind of uh, stay uh, as kind of second fiddle to a Joel Embiid type? I think at times Ben might even prefer it. Um, He's definitely the strong silent type, and I think he's definitely comfortable letting Joel be the guy that's the face of the team and having to answer all the questions. I think Ben would much rather just show up, play basketball, and go home, which is kind of what he gets to do now. It's not like Brett never compliments Ben, right? Because that's Brett's whole MO is he's probably, if not the biggest, one of the biggest players coaches in the league. Mm -hmm. So all of the players understand exactly how Brett feels, and Brett is extremely complimentary of those guys, especially Ben and Joel. And at the same time, Ben has to be honest with himself. I mean, Joel is the better player right now. Yeah. Um, I don't think I don't think Ben could honestly dispute that. Do I think Ben wants to be better than him? Yes, but I think it's a healthy competition. I think they've shown that they get along. That it's not the kind of thing where they're sitting there arguing over who gets the yeah. ball. Um, I think Ben's more than happy to pass it to Joe and let Joe dominate the offense. And we have seen games, not enough games personally, in my opinion, but there have been those games where Ben has seen Joel struggling and decided he has to do it himself. Well, yeah, Um, I I think is Ben. I think I I just don't see it. Like when people say that they can't coexist, like maybe positionally or like because of their height and crowding the paint. But I mean, it's clear that the Sixers organization doesn't think it's going to be a problem because they sign a guy like Al Horford and, you know, have, the majority of their lineup is huge. So they're not necessarily worried about packing the paint really at all. And even in previous years, you haven't seen Ben and Joel really ever have like a blow up on the bench or anything. I think they both understand that they need each other to, to bring a championship to Philadelphia. They need to be the best versions of themselves. And I feel like... Uh, you know, as two young players in in the primes of their careers, they really, I mean, at least I have noticed more than I guess the national media has that they they do play well together. And I feel like they're just starting to tap into that whole uh, vision that they are the future of this franchise. I, mean, I think nationally people are so hung up on Ben's lack of a jumper. Mm. 
But, you know, I think as he grows more comfortable with that, we'll see him and Joel's relationship continue to blossom. But I, I'm with you. I'm not too worried about how they're going to develop together. And really, I think the additions that Elton Brand made were with those two in mind. Because I think Josh Richardson, Al Horford, those guys are people that are going to come in. They're not going to demand the ball. They're going to let Ben and Joel be Ben and Joel. I think there's going to be a nice supporting group behind those two, and I think the team is still designed to be driven by the motor of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Yeah. For sure. And and you mentioned Al Horford uh, just quickly. One of the things that Brett said uh, with regard to Horford and Embiid is that having Al Horford as a mentor and a backup for Joel is a quote-unquote priceless gift. And I think we can all agree that the importance of Joel Embiid's backup is is so huge because, again, this is a team where what Greg Monroe was starting a playoff game against the Toronto Raptors in the second round. Like we're not to the point where that's going to happen anymore because, um, you know, you have a very capable and a very durable backup. Yeah. And even then you'd have Kyle O'Quinn behind that. But I mean, it's invaluable for so many reasons. We kind of touched on it in the last episode, too, where just the amount of stuff Al Horford does on the floor that doesn't get talked about. I mean, the guy is the definition of a glue guy. He is, for me, he's the ultimate catalyst where he might not be the guy on the ball. He might not be the guy scoring the points, but he's always doing something to try to help something out. Um, and I think a guy like that's just invaluable. And especially because he's willing to do it. He has no ego at all. We saw that in Boston the last few years. The guy will do whatever he's asked to do. And hopefully it's just going to come down to Brett putting him in the right situation to open up the whole team, whether he wants Horford to be scoring 20 points a night, which I think he could still do if asked, or he just wants Al Horford to come in and just be that guy who opens everything else up, who does all the dirty work, which again, we've seen firsthand watching the Sixers play the Celtics the last few years. I'm not sure there's a better guy in the league at doing that than Al Horford. So there's so much you can do with him and there's so much, there's nothing that he won't do for the team, which makes it really easy on Brett, makes it really easy on the guys playing around him. I mean, I think that's going to be an invaluable addition to this team. Yeah. Um, it's, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I'm, I'm really excited to see how it all plays itself out. I don't know how much, if any, that we're going to be able to see of that in the preseason, um, but I'm sure we'll get some, uh, you know, Twitter videos of of them on the floor together uh, in training camp for sure. Um, lastly, before we move on to to somebody else, one other interesting tidbit while uh, Brett was talking about Joel Embiid is um, that he will not be talking about medical anymore, not with just Embiid, but in general. Uh, he said, I'm not the person that should do it. It's not my place anymore. So, you know, Brett Brown has has been the face of this organization for quite some time now. You know, he was the face for Sam Hinkie. He was the face for Brian Colangelo. He's uh, the face for Elton Brand, even though Elton Brand meets with the media every now and again. But, uh, you know, I, I wonder how that's going to go, if they're going to have like a team spokesperson do it or just kind of leave it to the injury report. Um, to go from that. But yeah, he's doesn't sound like he wants to deal with any of the medical stuff anymore. He just wants to stick to coaching, which I think is probably for the best. I think with that too, you there was definitely times, especially during the Colangelo regime, where Brett's information differed from the information yeah. coming out of the front office. And I think it's really just tidying things up and making sure it doesn't happen anymore. Because it happened with after Colangelo left too. So there's going to be no more of that guessing game. It's going to be whatever is said is final, whether they're telling us the truth or not that'll you know we'll remain to see that because i don't think there's a sixers fan left that trusts that (laughs) 
medical staff. <laughs> nope. It'll at least be nice to not have to stress about it as much as we were. I'm sure we'll still be stressed about it all the time. And like you said, it does make Brett's job a little bit easier just to handle the X's and O's. And I think he made it clear when Brian Colangelo was seen out that he didn't want to be the front office guy. Um, You know, he sat there. He's been a soldier. He's been the guy to really take everything negative about this organization on the chin over the last five years. And I think... You know, I think they've rewarded him by letting him see it out. They definitely could have. I mean, they would have faced a lot of backlash, but they could have gotten rid of Brett after the 10 win or the 18 win season. But they let him stay, let him prove what he can do. And he's done that. And I'd like to think that he's really earned himself another few years in Philadelphia, at least. And really, I mean, there's no one else I'd rather have coaching the team because this is a guy that's really embodied what the city's about. And he's personally shaped the identity of this team where, you know, talk about a coach that's in it with you. That guy went through all the ups and downs. So I doubt there's a player that looks at Brett Brown and thinks they don't have someone they can trust when they have to go to him and ask him. Yeah, definitely. I mean, each and every year, even after big losses, uh, one thing I always love about Brett Brown is that you can you can really hear the passion and, and the knowledge in, in what he says and, and really in his voice. You can tell how much time that he's invested in this program and how much he believes in it. And for the first time in, in quite some time, it looks like he actually will have, you know, a, an actual team for an entire year. We've seen so much roster turnover, even last year with the midseason trades or three or four different versions of that team. So I think now that Brett will have an entire training camp, an entire preseason to work with these same guys, that they'll be able to to really, you know, start something special and, and hopefully end up in a special place. Um, and, and that, uh, you know, it hinges a lot on Joel Embiid and it also hinges a lot on Ben Simmons and Ben Simmons was also a heavy topic of discussion at Brett's media luncheon and of course the the thing that we know about Ben Simmons we talked about it a little in the last episode um, is we saw those videos of his jump shot Um, you know we've seen his willingness and, and what looks like confidence to be able to shoot it in those videos but will we actually be able to see him do that in a game Um, And and that's really where it starts for Brett Brown. He mentioned that the willingness to shoot is really where it starts. um, But he noticed that the time he's invested over the course of the summer is the best by a long shot that he ever has. Uh, And he also mentioned that you're not going to see Brett put him down in the dunker spot like we've seen before. Um, So they it looks like they plan to set him in the corner and encourage him to shoot threes right off the bat. And I think that's really smart, because if you look at the personnel that they have, you know, if you're starting a lineup with Al Horford and Joel Embiid, do you need a third guy on the block nope you know why would why would you overload the paint like that i mean you could live like that we could definitely be a paint dominant team and probably will anyway just because that's how we're built but i think that in a way it gives brett some insurance that he can afford to let ben continue to develop during the early stages of the season let him get all of his nerves out and almost force him to take them shots because he will still have reliable scoring in the post. So if it does get to, you know, a bad point or Ben's having an off night, he can still kick it down and go back to the original game plan that we've been seeing the last few years. But I mean, I'm happy to hear Brett pushing Ben to continue that growth. And it's, you know, it's, equally as helpful that Ben is doing it himself and that Ben's the one kind of initiating it. And now everyone really seems to be on the same page with it. Yeah, for sure. And and Ben, you know, just recently in the last couple of days, there was a story that came out from the Associated Press, I believe it was. He talked a lot about what he's been working on this summer, the confidence that he has going into training camp and with the team that they have. 
Um, we'll talk a little bit more about that in our training camp preview episode, which will be out on Monday, October the 1st. So make sure you stick and stay tuned for that. Um, the next thing that Brett Brown talked a little bit about was the style of play. And the main quote that a lot of people seem to be sticking to is, we will end up playing smash mouth offense and bully ball defense. And you look at a statement like this, and, and obviously they have the guys on the roster, especially in the starting lineup. Heck, even on the bench with O'Quinn and, and Mike Scott to play bully ball offense and defense. But I'm curious as to what you think uh, with regard to how their pace will be, because we've seen in the past, they've had players that, that push the pace. You're going to have Josh Richardson that does that. Tobias Harris isn't necessarily a, a fast player. N- neither is Al Horford. So, so smash mouth offense. What, what does that come off like to you? And how do you think their pace will look like uh, when, when we get started into the season and they get into a little bit of a groove getting settled down and everything? When I mean, you hear smash mouth, you think physicality. Um, and with Ben Horford, Joel, Josh Richardson, and Tobias Harris, I mean, they're all big body guys. Richardson isn't, he's not big, but he's definitely got that little bit of dog in him where he, he likes to mix it up. Um, as far as the pace goes, Ben Simmons is probably the best transition, not the best, you have to give it to LeBron, but one of the best transition players in the NBA. And really that's when he's at his best is when the game's wide open like that. So, I mean, there isn't as much speed out there with Horford and Harris as there was before when it was, you know, Reddicks and Covingtons and Butlers. But I still think you can see Ben make it work. I mean, I think you're going to see a lot more half-court offense this year, and I think you really have to with the kind of players they're going to have. Um, otherwise, it'll be more of a two-man break with Ben and Richardson, and I don't think they can live by that, mm-hmm. even if that's what Brett wants to do. Um, and on the defensive side, I mean, it should be a bully ball defense because, I mean, again, with those five guys and with the attitudes of the guys that are coming off of the bench, there's no reason they can't go out there and have the mentality. Right of trying to pitch a shutout which i mean that, that would never happen in the nba but that type of aggressive defense that kind of pride on defense where you know you're not scoring on us tonight and i think they have the kind of players that can actually make that happen and i really wouldn't be surprised if the sixers mm-hmm. end up leading the league in points allowed per game because i just can't see a team with another defenses as far as five players individually i can't see a defense as good as that now there could be a team with a much better scheme but as far as five individuals i don't think it gets better than what the Sixers have on defense. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. I think they're going to be one of those teams that that might not shoot a lot of three pointers, but uh, they'll be able to defend and and win and win that way. You, you saw an Indiana Pacers team. That one comes to mind for me last year. Not a team that you really think about, especially after they lost Victor Oladipo. But, you know, they had a good little run going into the playoffs because they were a team that didn't necessarily score a lot of points, but they held the other team to not too many points. So that helped them. And I think the Sixers are kind of transitioning into that sort of team. And, uh, you know, when it comes to to being a team like that, you think about where the shooting is going to come from. And and that was one of the things that Brett Brown spoke about um, after talking about smash mouth offense, bully ball defense. He knows that the shooting is not going to be the team's bread and butter, but he knows that there are a lot of people that are capable. Uh, They're comfortable uh, with Joel shooting a perimeter shot, Al Horford, 
Horford, Mike Scott, Tobias Harris, Jonah Bolden. Um, and he said, are we going to be casting a bunch of threes? That's not our identity. So again, we talked about it a little bit in our first episode, but it's going to be very interesting to see how Brett Brown schemes the offense around these new guys on the roster because the past two, three years, it's been very heavy with dribble handoffs. And now you're not necessarily going to be able to have that anymore. Um, and, and again, you don't have a guy like Jimmy Butler to create their own shot either. They might be a team that can defend really well, but when it comes to scoring, Jesse, how do you, how do you think that they're going to to make it work? Uh, again, I keep pointing to Al Horford. Um, I think the stuff he does off the ball is going to be crucial. I mean, if he can you know get into the pick setting that he likes to do, just battling teams out with an 18-footer here and there, I think he's going to play a vital role. Um, Josh Richardson, I see him, I'd like to see him kind of as really a slasher. Let him use his energy and his speed to just wreak havoc through the defense, constantly motioning, you know, running through the baseline, slashing through the lane, whatever he's got to do to make the defense uncomfortable. And I think that's something he can do really well. And then you still have Ben and Joel with their skill sets. Ben can go to the rim virtually whenever he wants to. Joel can get on the line whenever he wants to, or he can shoot from wherever he wants. And really, I think we're kind of forgetting how good Tobias Harris is because he definitely had moments last year and really throughout his career where he has been a guy to create his own shot where he can take a guy one-on-one get past him and get to the rim Um, I mean he's not Jimmy Butler in that sense but it's definitely something in his arsenal where I think a lot of people are kind of miscasting him as a catch and shoot three shooter when he's so much more than that and the Sixers are going to need him to be more than that for this offense to really definitely and talking about Tobias Harris too I I think you're very right and I you know, we've said it a few times already in the last episode. Uh, one of the things that we did talk about was, um, you know, Tobias Harris getting those touches that that he deserves. You know, with a guy like Jimmy Butler, you have Simmons and and Bede already. So sometimes he was the third, fourth option on offense, but now he's going to be, you know, sometimes the number two, even the number one when it comes to shooting the ball from the perimeter. Um, And one of the things Brett said about the other side of the ball with regard to Harris is that he promises that he will be better defensively and that he's looking forward to that. And I think if Tobias can really kind of lock down uh, the opposing teams, uh, three or four guys, you know, I think you're looking at an even better defensive team than it already looks like with Simmons, who's who's getting to elite status in defense. You have Embiid, Richardson, a young up and coming defender. Uh, Al Horford, who's who's a stingy defender. And then Tobias Harris is really the weakest in the starting five on defense. So if he shows significant improvement, you're talking about a team that's going to be probably the best defensive team in the league. Easily. And we're, we're saying that like Tobias Harris is a slouch yeah. on defense when he's not. I mean, I would mark him as an average defender, but he is also going to be asked to defend probably the highest scoring position in the league, which mm-hmm. is that small forward spot. So you would like to see him improve a little bit, but it's not like the hole that J.J. Redick or, um, you know, some of the other guys would come off the bench and give us like a Jared Bayless would. Tobias Harris can hold his own. He's just not the guy you stick on the number one guy. Right. Yeah, very true. Um, well, just a couple of last things to to touch on here. When it comes to big picture stuff, we talked a little bit about how Brett Brown's been the guy who's the who's been the front through the process the colangelo era and and still to today Uh, but i think one thing that we can't underestimate is that brett a lot of people doubted that he would make it through the colangelo era because he wasn't 
like the guy that Colangelo hired, you know, he, he made it through that entire experience, but now you have a guy like Elton brand, who's been coached by Brett Brown and has been with the organization for quite some time. And those two have a really good relationship. And Brett said with regard to Elton doing his job at a GM as a GM, he's blown away at how he handles his job. And he called him a quiet killer. And, you know, the thing that we discussed to debut our garbage into gold show was Elton Brand said that it'll all make sense soon. So I think Brett Brand, Brett Brown, you know, passively supporting that and, and really believing in the roster that they put together. And Brett knows that the expectation is high. And, and, and one of the things that he said is the margin for error to be the last team standing is the head of a pin. So he understands the, the pressure that's on him. He takes it up as a challenge and he wants the number one seed, Jesse. We all want the number one seed. As you should, and really I think it's theirs to lose. Um, I'm not scared of the Bucks, especially with this roster we've put together. I say we, that Elton Brand's put together. Um, I mean, I love the old school Chevy. I love them as a player, even even though we got him on the downswing of his career. But he's always had that, that quiet leadership about him, and he's definitely translating to the front office really well. And I think that kind of mentality and stability that he's bringing in there, especially following what was going on with the Colangelos, is really helping the whole team settled down brett included um look what the guy's done so far he's brought in you know two blockbuster trades and then when it seemed like jimmy butler fell through he turns it into josh richardson and al horford i mean you can't help but give him great marks you might get upset about the draft but really the draft was part of a bigger plan he even said that night afterwards when he made the comment you talked about that it would all make sense soon is we have championship aspiration and he goes you can't win a championship in this league if you're going to bring in six new players so you know, people were upset we didn't get certain players, but his plan all along was to bring in veterans that were going to give the team an identity and give the team the chance to win a championship. And really, I think he set the team up to do that. And I mean, I was actually watching some TV today on ESPN. They had the jump on and they were all saying that the Sixers are their pick to come out of the East. And it's I mean, it was almost unanimous. And I don't I don't like the national media getting on a Philadelphia team like that. I prefer to be the underdog. But it is nice to see everyone else kind of seeing what fans in Philly have been seeing develop over the last two yeah. years here. I mean, we, we've said it before a few times, but this is exciting times with training camp and the preseason on the horizon. Uh, we are very, very excited to to be able to to bring Sixers content to you with garbage into gold. Um, we want to thank you all for listening. And if you like what you heard, we're now available on Apple as of this recording. The first one episode took a couple days to get on there, but we are now officially on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Google Play as well. We'll post all the links for that. Uh, if you want to give me a follow on Twitter, you can hit me up at bapter 23 and you can find Jesse on there at Jesse Larch. And uh, just one more shout out to Philadelphia Sports Nation. Make sure that you're following them at PHL Sports Nation and at PHL Sixers Nation. On the Sixers side of that, I believe in the next week or so, they're going to be having a contest to win tickets to the December 10th uh, Sixers Nuggets game at the Wells Fargo Center. So you're going to want to be following on there to find out the details to that. Uh, Again, we thank everybody for listening, and we'll catch you next time on another episode of Garbage Into Gold, the day before Sixers training camp begins on October 1st.